everyone. Welcome to the Farm Commons podcast, where we explore timely and important legal issues and questions facing the farming community today. For community-based farms with a focus on sustainability, managing legal risks is especially important as many innovative farm enterprises, like community-supported agriculture programs, on-farm suppers, and gardening classes, and unique arrangements for land access and employment do not fit neatly into our legal system, leading to vulnerability. But through legal education, we can cultivate greater resilience for your farm business so that you can continue to grow in ways that best support you, your relationships, and your community. At Farm Commons, we'll show you why and how. Thanks for tuning in. Hi, everyone. Eva here with Farm Commons, and we're back today to discuss legal risk management for your farm in this time of COVID-19. We know all you farmers are making quick and significant changes to your supply channels, your staff, the food safety protocols on your farm, and more. And you've had so many questions for us regarding legal risk management. This week, we're continuing our recording of COVID-19 coverage episodes to address your questions about sick leave, unemployment, um, the new federal acts, and uh, also executive orders and what that means for farm businesses. So today, we're back for part seven with our director, Rachel Armstrong, and our staff attorney, Sarah Vale, to discuss executive orders to shelter in place or stay at home and the distinction between essential and non-essential businesses and what all that means for farms. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Rachel. Thanks for being on the line. Hi, and I hope everybody's doing well. I hope you and your family members are, uh, are not sick and, um, and that you're finding new ways to move forward. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Rachel. Thanks, Eva. All right, so what do the stay-at-home orders uh, or shelter-in-place orders that are coming from the governors in at least 35 states now mean for farm businesses? That's a great question. Uh, it, you know, as one might expect, for the most part, if you're, if you're considered essential, you can still operate. But if your enterprise, your business is considered non-essential, then for the most part, these executive orders indicate that you have to stop. So it becomes really important who is an essential business and who is not essential. Well, the answer there it all depends on the exact wording of the executive order. So each state might be a little bit different in terms of where they fall as to who's essential and, and who is not. It gets especially challenging in food and agriculture because some of these things, they're not necessarily easy to, to explain. They, you know, it doesn't work well with broad brushstrokes. Uh, you know, something like a restaurant, well, you can just say no restaurants and that becomes a lot easier to figure out. But if you say, well, farms are allowed or agriculture is allowed, agriculture comes in such a huge, you know, spectrum of, of varieties, of types of operations, of things that they produce. It's really hard to paint with, with broad brushstrokes. So we got to get down into the details of the executive order and, um, and look at exactly what they say. So I came up with a few examples um, that, we could, that we could talk about, if that's a good next step. Yeah, that would be great, Rachel. Okay. So let's take a look at Wisconsin. Anyone who knows Farm Commons knows that for me personally, a lot of my adult life was spent in Wisconsin. I love the Wisconsin agricultural community, along with lots of other communities around the, around the country. But that one's particularly dear to my heart. 
So what does the governor of Wisconsin say? Farmers markets are allowed. The executive order from Wisconsin's governor specifically says that uh, stores who sell groceries um, as well as farms and farm stands are allowed to remain open. So that was pretty nice. It was really nice that they went to the point of explaining farm stands, produce stands um, can keep operating. Now, those are subject to some other conditions like, you know, you can't have self-dispensing um, mechanisms. You know, if it's a, if it's a farm stand, um, you know, that's, that's, you know, scoop your own XYZ, you can't really do that, um, but you can still remain open. Wisconsin's order also allows home delivery service businesses to keep operating. Now that's not, not necessarily connected to agriculture. It doesn't say farms that deliver to homes can still operate. It says businesses that deliver to homes can still operate. I would suspect, of course, that's because huge swaths of you know, American consumers are now buying online and getting things for delivery so that they can continue to, to shelter um, at, in place or you know, comply with stay-at-home orders. So that's, that's a cool one that got into Wisconsin's executive order. And what it does is it really allows a farm to start a home delivery service, even if they didn't have one before. One of the problems that's resulting is even though farmers markets are allowed, a lot of farmers markets are choosing not to operate. They're concerned that, you know, no matter what, they just don't want to become a vector for COVID-19. So they're going to choose not to operate. In, in that instance, many farms are saying, well, okay, I'm going to start delivering directly to consumers and that's allowed um, in Wisconsin. Where things start getting complicated is if you're a farm that doesn't trade in food. Let's say you grow flowers. If you grow flowers, you're hurting right now. You know, weddings are getting canceled and postponed. Events are off. Um, people aren't, um, you know, they're, they're not stopping by the grocery store after work and picking up a bunch of beautiful flowers. We're all kind of stressed. And even though we're stressed and we really could benefit from, um, from some floral beauty in our lives, uh, it's, it's just not quite happening. So flower farms are, are asking themselves, okay, what if I start a direct-to-consumer operation? Can I start delivering to homes? Or what about my grocery clients? My grocery clients are open. Can I deliver my product to my grocery clients even though I'm not selling food, even though I'm not delivering food? Well, what do you know? The answer can be complicated. <laughs> when we dig into an executive order like the one in Wisconsin, um, it says that grocery stores are allowed to remain open and, and of course that they can sell their, their inventory, but it also makes specific reference to food for consumption. We could interpret the entire paragraph that allows grocery stores to remain open as restricting that to the sale of food. So what about flowers? Many of the farms that grow flowers are not also delivering food to that grocery store. So we'd have to look at some sort of a broader exemption for agriculture as a whole, agriculture that is food not for human or pet consumption. And honestly, Wisconsin's executive order just doesn't seem to allow that specifically. It doesn't say, look, any form of agriculture can continue to carry on. So we're forced to try to do some interpretation.
we're forced to think, well, I, you know, I don't know, what was the governor thinking? What was he intending? What's the point of the stay-at-home order? What is the vulnerability that, that it introduces to have flowers delivered to a grocery store or something like that? So we're not getting clear answers to every single contingency just because, uh, because agriculture is so broad and the ways in which it affects our lives are, you know, multifaceted. Um, I do want to sneak in there, though, that no one should worry about uh, not being able to travel to their farm to do things like, you know, open the greenhouse um, or collect the mail. Of course, everyone is allowed to conduct minimum basic operations, as these orders often say. So that is things like, you know, running payroll, making sure your heat and your cooling systems um, are functioning, preserving your inventory, making sure the, the freezers didn't go out. All that stuff, of course, you can continue to do. Um, and for the most part, if you deal in food, you're pretty good. It's the, you know, the iffy territory is when you deal in non-food agricultural items. Great, thanks for that overview of Wisconsin's executive order, Rachel. And now I'm wondering about other states and their executive orders and um, can farmers, take broad guidance from what another state does for what's going on in their state, or do they need to be wary of what their executive orders might, might say regarding um, what is acceptable agriculture right now for essential businesses? Will that vary from state to state? It's a great question. There's, there's definitely variation from state to state. Whether you can take inspiration or guidance, the only law that affects you is the one that affects you. Um, and that would be the executive order where you are or, or where you sell. But we're really in uncharted territory. Executive orders are not a normal way of doing business. They are not a normal way of creating or enforcing laws, especially laws with such tremendous ramifications. Um, I am hopeful, though, that for the most part, states are following standards you know, they're allowing agriculture. And just to turn to Sarah, does that, does what I explained about Minnesota or Wisconsin, does that reflect um, what you're seeing in Oregon in their executive orders? Yeah, Rachel, our executive order out here in Oregon is actually quite different to Wisconsin's, it sounds like. So, uh, like I said, I live out in Ashland, Oregon. Um, we received our stay-at-home Save Lives order last Monday, March 23rd. Uh, Kate Brown, our governor, issued the order. At the time that there were around 160 cases and five deaths, now that's quite a, quite a few less than we had um, just a, a mere week later at about 606 cases and 16 deaths. So uh, that order came on the heels of a, a previous kind of softer directive. She requested a few days earlier you know, please stay, stay home, everyone. Apparently, we didn't listen. So huge crowds were spotted at the Oregon coast, a popular destination here in our state, as well as the Columbia Gorge and other national parks and places of interest. So we Oregonians just don't like to be kept inside. So she then came down with a stronger order that requires everyone to stay at home to the maximum extent possible. So uh, what the order says is that non-essential social and recreational gatherings in public, as well as people's homes, are prohibited. So, and that is if a six feet distance of separation cannot be maintained easily. Uh, second, it requires the closure of certain businesses. So, 
she has a laundry list of specifically named businesses that are required to close. And these are things like tanning salons and uh, yoga facilities, uh, bowling alleys, massage therapists. So uh, after that list, she then says, um, other specifically listed businesses can remain open. So those are mostly gonna be businesses selling food and drink, um, but only for takeout and delivery. And then she pretty much leaves all their businesses not specifically listed to decide for themselves if they can remain open safely while maintaining those social distance guidelines. So there are some other workforce restrictions such as telecommuting must be done where possible. And then government buildings are also shut down and their workers are working remotely um, as much as, as they can do. So travel is also prohibited unless essential and outdoor recreation is limited um, to that which you can do by yourself or while maintaining that six feet of separation. Um, parks are closed except for bathrooms and paths. And we've just now have had word that our national forests, which is a place we Oregonians can't stay away from, are gonna be closed until September 1st. So much sadness out here in Oregon. Uh, then there's the enforcement piece. So the enforcement of the order is done by both the Oregon Health Authority, which can assess civil penalties, and then also the criminal justice system, which can arrest people and cite them with class C misdemeanors, which are punishable by, I think it's um, over $1,000 of fines and 30 days in jail. So, you know, as far as what's actually happening in Oregon, and I'll get to what this means for farm businesses in a moment, but um, I just want to touch on that enforcement piece. So at first, they came out saying enforcement was going to be light. It was going to be mostly education, you know, educating the public about how to comply with this order. And what they said was that criminal enforcement would be the last resort. So then people continued to, to not comply with the order and gather in public places so, and, and continue to operate businesses that couldn't maintain that social distance or that were one of those specifically named businesses in the order. So now it sounds like enforcement's getting real out here. So law enforcement in Oregon has already shut down a few businesses, including a bar that remains open on St. Patrick's Day, which was prohibited under a previous order, and broken up parties on the Oregon coast, things like that. So what's starting to happen now is that the Occupational Health and Safety Division of Oregon is going to start inspecting businesses, which employees have filed complaints about. So it's really, it's really complaint driven at this point. So uh, we don't have law enforcement on the street, I think, at this point, telling people to, to go home and citing them. But it really is, it sounds like employees are saying, you know, there's no social distance maintained at my place of employment, um, that sort of thing. So uh, Oregon's version of the OSHA, you know, Occupational Safety and Health Association has received over a 1,100 or so coronavirus-related complaints in the last week. So the division says that if violations are found and they're serious, they're, they'll start to issue penalties, which can be as much as $500 a day um, for every day the business is in violation. So um, these aren't criminal penalties, but civil ones, but still big, expensive deals. So as far as what it means for farm businesses in Oregon, so you can stay open for business. You know, these farms are not specifically named businesses in the order that have to close. 
But if you are a farm that's going to maintain, um, if you're going to stay open to the public, um, you have to make sure that you're taking the precautions, including social distancing at the workplace or else risk employees calling the health authority and complaining. So, um, you know, we did note, you mentioned earlier, Rachel, about flower farms and whether they're essential services and can stay open. So it sounds like out here in Oregon, flower farms would fall under businesses that can remain open if, of course, they can take those coronavirus-related precautions like social distancing. So it's not different than other farm businesses as far as a showing of being essential is not required. But I did, I did add that yesterday I tried to go to the farmer's market, which was open last week for business, and uh, it was not open. So sadly for all of us, uh, it, it was closed yesterday and it's going to stay closed for another two weeks. And when I checked the farmer's market uh, website, they said that they will reopen on April 14th, but they're remaining closed for two weeks to be able to take training on how to maintain social distancing and take other, other precautions. So it definitely is affecting our farmers out here, no doubt in Oregon. That is really fascinating that, that it's being enforced by employee complaints. And I, I should have seen that coming, but I, I, I didn't. And maybe that's because I have sort of, I have a farm perspective or I, where it is quite a bit easier to maintain social distance. It might just be a way of life on many farms. <laughs> um, but even where it's not already the, the, the manner of doing business, there are, there are so many fewer customers you know, it's really the bar that stays open or, you know, the, the worker who's, who's forced to sit in a cubicle, you know, three feet from somebody else because the business owner doesn't want to lose revenue. You know, now I can see, well, of course that those are the people that are going to get upset. They're exposed to their coworkers, um, you know, coworkers as vectors and, and, and are concerned. Yeah. And it's a really tricky situation we find ourselves in because, you know, businesses, want to stay open as much as they can. They want to be able, they want and need to continue to earn revenue. But of course, on the other side, it's, it's that balance of um, not wanting to infect anybody. And so, yeah, you have a lot of employees being put in these difficult situations. Right. Right. Interesting. Um, you and I were talking last week about the flower farm situation. Um, and you noted that, uh, that someone you knew had received a, a bouquet delivery of flowers. And so um, they, were, they were essential. And that really is what made me think, well, you know, that emotional uplift um, is important in these, uh, in these dreadful times. <laughs> yeah, it really is. And I looked at um, something that showed how, uh, how nurseries and landscaping organizations and um, you know, gardening centers are being handled in these orders across the, the country. And it looks like for the most part that these types of businesses are being uh, identified as essential services and allowed to remain open. Interesting, interesting. If I can jump in and talk about letters. We're seeing these template letters being circulated online that say, hey, print this out, give this to your employees. It outlines the fact that agriculture or, you know, insert business here, um, is considered essential and is not subject to these stay-at-home um, executive orders. You know, 
there's nothing wrong with a letter like that. But I think it's important to note that many executive orders, much of the guidance that's coming directly from the state says you don't need a letter. There is no, there's nothing in these orders that says, unless you have a letter stating you're essential, then you need to stay home. Even where there is compliance that's being considered or, you know, as in, as in the Oregon example that, that Sarah gave, where OSHA, you know, or the state version of OSHA is showing up. Um, that is not the same as being stopped on the street and asked to provide some sort of evidence that you have permission to be out and about. I have not heard of that happening. Now, I'll admit I'm in the Midwest. This is, you know, and in northern Minnesota, we're hardly a, a population center here. Um, but uh, our, our state is saying, look, no letter. Um, you can have one if you want one, but it's voluntary compliance and, and without, uh, without patrol. So I would say to farmers, you know, there's nothing wrong with printing one of those out and giving it to your employees if it makes them, if it makes them feel better, gives them um, confidence um, that their actions are, um, are allowed. But I also wouldn't get too anxious if you haven't done it. I wouldn't get too anxious if you're not sure if your, you know, letter is phrased the right way. So don't... Uh, don't tie yourself in knots about it. Yeah. Well, any peace of mind right now, I think, is a comfort. And those letters are certainly providing that for, for a lot of farmers and those working in agriculture. Um, so great. Thanks, Rachel and Sarah, for the overviews of what's going on in Wisconsin and Oregon and um, yeah, how to go about responding to enforcement. I could see if a complaint were to occur on a farm and if the farm were to be challenged, um, they could have that letter on the ready, but I'm curious to know who has the authority to enforce um, executive orders. Who would be showing up? Would it be state troopers, local police? Yeah, someone needs to be given that permission in the executive order. And it's not always necessarily the original stay-at-home order, but it could be a supplemental um, you know, order that's issued that clarifies who or when um, or how. Uh, but like you were saying, that, that confidence is what people need right now. We need techniques to reduce our anxiety um, to help us find some positive direction moving forward. Uh, some state governments are providing avenues to seek clarification uh, like the Minnesota Department of Agriculture, they, they're offering a number and an email um, to reach out to ask uh, for guidance on where one's business falls in terms of the the executive order. So, uh, in some situations, there is uh, there is a way to get some some advice and guidance. But ultimately, if we're asking what the law is, we don't have a lot of opportunity to enforce interpretation, or shall I say, to force interpretation. In a normal manner of doing business, if we don't uh, agree with the interpretation of a statute or a regulation, well, you file a lawsuit and then you get a court and, you know, you, you hash it out. Um, you know, we're talking about things that affect us tomorrow and we don't necessarily have that time nor that ability. So it's, uh, we're in some uncharted territory in terms of how do we create some measure of certainty for us and a thing that is very uncertain at every turn. Yeah, absolutely. So to wrap up here, what would you say, Sarah and Rachel, um, would be good action steps for farmers right now in states where executive orders are being issued to stay in place or shelter at home? 
well, before I hand it over to Sarah, in a state like Minnesota or Wisconsin, where there is a fairly well-developed executive order that, that does address agriculture specifically, I think the easiest thing to do is to contact someone like your state farmers union or um, an, uh, an agricultural association that you might be a member of. Um, talk to one of your uh, your, your entities you know, that, that serve on behalf of farmers and ask them if they have clarification. Most of them are developing fact sheets, tip sheets, you know, um, formats to help you understand it. Of course, you can always go read the order yourself, but sometimes it's easier to ask someone who's already screened it. The other thing is that those folks may have already been in touch for further guidance and received some communication from, um, from a government agency um, about how they're interpreting their own order. So, so go with your advocates who have connections to, uh, to state offices and see what, uh, see what they say as a first, um, first action step. What do you think, Sarah? Well, out here in Oregon, we have a really great resource in the Small Farms Program that's a part of the Oregon State University Extension Office. And they've produced a really great guide on, um, well, for farmers and what they are supposed to do in this COVID crisis. And we talked about this resource in one of our other podcasts about um, switching to online platforms and CSA models for, for farmers looking to uh, figure out other ways to sell their products. So this has a lot of great information here about, I think what's on farmers' minds more than anything right now is how do they get out there and sell that, that product? So um, lots of good information about the different platforms that are out there that create you know, virtual um, storefronts and other information about how to stay safe and how to make sure that your employees are safe in this time. So I would check that out. These resources are going to be helpful not only if you're here in Oregon, but anywhere um, in any of the states. Check it out. Great. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks, Rachel. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Farm Commons podcast. For more information on what you just heard, as well as a variety of farm law guides, models, checklists, flowcharts, and more, visit our website at farmcommons.org. You can also email us at info at farmcommons.org if you have any questions or comments about this podcast or any of our online materials. Thanks everyone for listening, and keep on growing.